25 and Genesis 1, 28 through 30. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Genesis. God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with it, with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. This is the word of God. Amen. Mute button means something. Right. I, I, I know because I do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're a pro. Uh, Brent Corbin, I'm an intern here at Christ Central. Like Howard said, I'm in seminary down the road at RTS. I just finished my first year. Um, I have a few more left, Lord willing, two more. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to continue in our sermon series about the mission of the church, uh, which we've been doing this whole summer and will continue for some time. Uh, and I'm kind of the first of three weeks in a little mini-series about the beauty, um, what, uh, what the church does with the concept of beauty, um, beauty of the earth. We're going to talk about beauty and art uh, and several different things. Um, but beauty of creation, beauty of the earth, that's what uh, I'm going to talk about today from Scripture so that with the hopes that as Christians we can kind of take a step back um, from the world we're living in right now, um, from what's going on all around us because it is all around us, that we can take a step back and see what Scripture has to say about it. And it has, and it has quite a bit to say about it. You might uh, be surprised. You know, it doesn't use some of the language like we have today in terms of being green or all this kind of stuff. But Scripture speaks very clearly about our position as people, uh, as Christians in this world that we live in. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we will get going this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we invite you to come and to speak for us what is true about the creation that you have made, what is true about the way it is uh, that, we are to, uh, that we are to treat it, the way it is that we are to live in it, um, what is true about the world around us right now, Father, and what is true about the world that is to come. Holy Spirit, come and fill our hearts and minds Without you doing so, this will be an exercise in public speaking, and it will mean nothing. 
But we're hopeful because you promised us that you will come and attend to the preaching of your word. And so we invite you to do so. Uh, and we would ask that in your son's name. Amen. You know, uh, times have changed when uh, you drive down the road and you see this little two-door car-looking, bug-looking thing called a smart car. And instead of laugh at it, you're actually jealous. And you're like, I, I want one of those. Um, not that long ago, we would, I would have laughed at it. Um, but I'm driving up Park Road the other day, and this thing crosses going the other way. And I turn my head, and I'm just like, that, that looks like more like a golf cart than a car. Uh, and yet I want one. <laughs> Why do I want this thing so badly? I feel uh, very kind of hip and very edgy. I just get, I get out in the open talking about the beauty of the earth and creation today. I feel uh, real cool because, you know, whether, I mean, you realize it. This stuff is permeating the news. It's on the radio. It's in, it's in TV shows, um, being green, recycling, $4 gas, going to $5 gas, activism, EPA, lead certification, energy efficiency, offshore drilling. Y'all, the issues of our day, uh, and hugely in this upcoming presidential election, are about the earth. They're about conservation. They're about what we're to do in the creation right now in the world that we live in. How do we handle it? What, what are we to do? How, do we, how are we to think about all these issues which are so much around us that y'all, they're, they, they're really just consuming? Scripture tells us about the beauty of the earth. Um, you know, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. It's what it says. I'd like to say that... Um, if there's a really holy reason for why we didn't put the whole Genesis creation account in the bulletin, but it's just that it didn't fit. Um, it was a pretty long account. Um, but we're going to start off in that as, because we need to go backwards and kind of pull back the curtains a little, bit of, a little bit of history and say, God, what is it that you said about your creation? What are the words that you spoke about this world that you have made? What have you said? What is true from you? What is true from history? And that's going to be really important, y'all, as we, as we then later move into a time of what it's like now in the world we live in right now today and then what it's going to be like in the future. Because the creation story, kind of the genesis, the beginning account, is in some way it's our anchor, it's our root, it's our weight for which we go back to and which we fall back on because it, it plays out hugely in where we are and where we're going. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about where we came from, the way it was we're going to talk about the way it is right now, what's happening in the world around us, what are we to do with creation and beauty, what is our call right now, and then we're going to move forward and talk about what's coming. What do we look forward to? Is there anything to look forward to? Or are we just spinning our wheels trying to keep up this beauty for beauty's sake? Scripture talks about it. Uh, if you look back at, well, it's, like I said, it's not in our bulletin, but um, the Genesis, the creation account, some of you might be familiar with it. Um, if not, it's okay. What happens is that God, as He goes through these days of creation, um, he, he creates things. He made the, uh, the heavens and the earth, and He looks back, and He says, and he, what did He say? And it was good. He made the waters, and He separated the waters, and He says again, it was good. He makes the plants and the animals, and they were good. He makes humans, and they were, it was very good. Y'all, God looks in His creative work. He takes a step back at the end of His day and He says, It's good. It's beautiful. I like it. That word that He uses there is, can be very, is beautiful. A lot of our translations say good, but it also means beautiful. God was pleased with the beauty of His creation. Okay? We know how this feels. A lot of us out here are artists. Uh, a lot of us uh, write music. We're composers. Um, we build stuff. 
it's the same thing. That when you finish your project, you t- take a step back and you just kind of look at it and you, you sigh, you're finished, and you're proud because what you have made with your hands is good and it's beautiful. And you can rightly say that you're the one who has made it. Others may acknowledge it and they likely will, just like we acknowledge that the world around us is beautiful and it's pretty and all of this. But y'all, as the creators of the whatever it is, we can rightly say about our creation that it is good. And God has done just that with His creation. Now in the part that is in your bulletin, the, uh, Genesis 1, 28-30, this is what um, Christian speak calls the cultural mandate. Okay, and all that means is that this is what God says when He is first speaking to Adam and Eve about their creation, their, their place and their relation to the world. He says, this is how you are to look at the world. This is what it means to us. This is what we're to do with it. He says, uh, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. Use it, every green tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth, they'll be yours. Um, be fruitful, increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. What God is saying, y'all, He is saying that... Um, that Adam and Eve, this is yours. It's my creation, but I'm giving it to you to rule over it. Not in a bad sense rule, but to take care of it, you might say. To be stewards of it. Um, This is my gift to you, he is saying. You can use it. Use it for all its goodness. The oil that's in there, like Howard said, use it. Let it run your machinery. Let it run your plants. The food that's out there, the beasts, the plants, use them. That, that is our calling. We're to use it and be productive with it, but y'all also to take care of it. Adam and Eve were set in a garden setting, a beautiful, we get these lush pictures, and that rightly so. The garden setting, and they were called to take care of it. To You know what a garden does. If you, if you prune it and you pick it at the right times, the fruit, what does it do? It keeps producing. You prune stuff and it's counterintuitive. You think, I'm, I'm cutting off my tree. But then, you know, weeks later, months later, you get this new beautiful tree with new leaves. That is God's sense that we're supposed to be, you know, what we're to do in this creation. We're to take care of it. Um, we're to, uh, to rule over it and subdue it and be good stewards of it. Okay, so that's kind of, I wanted to lay that out there. That's, that's the way it was in the beginning. That was the creation mandate. Um, that was God's speaking about His creation. Okay, now I want to talk about kind of where we are now. Um, Specifically, post-fall. Fall is uh, the term we use when we talk about when Adam and Eve sinned. They ate of the one thing that God said don't do. Don't eat of this one tree. And they ate of it and they fell into sin. Uh, at that time, center of the world. So where are we in this post-fall, post-sin, uh, not post-sin, but sin world that we live in? And I believe uh, that Paul in this passage in Romans uh, speaks very clearly to this. Um, and we'll see as we see some of this language that uh, it, it's kind of like um, breakup language. Growing up, I heard it a lot because I got broken up with a lot. But you broke up with a girl and she's like, wow, why'd you break up with me? Well, you've changed. It's like, I'm in seventh grade. I haven't changed. I'm, I wear sweatpants and play golf. That's all I do. I haven't changed. But Paul here is not saying that. He's not saying, oh yeah, it's still great and good, which it is, those things. But he's saying something has changed in this world. So let's look at it in verse 18 through 22. I'm just going to go through them quickly. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation. Other translations say eager longings. Um, verse 20, the creation was subjected to, subjected to frustration. Uh, 21, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Um, 22, the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth. So what happened, right? God has created this good and beautiful thing. And Paul here is, he's talking about this creation that hurts, y'all. 
He's talking about a creation that has these birth pains. Now, I don't, I don't have experienced that, but um, seeing it on TV plenty to know that there, there's yelling and screaming and it hurts. And uh, I know definitely enough about that. Um, it's subjected to bondage and frustration. Um, things are not right. And we kind of get the picture as we look out on this world, kind of what Paul's saying. Because we can sense, very much in a sense, still grasp the beauty of it. We, we have lots of beauty around us. I mean, uh, the, the, the beaches, the mountains. Um, a lot of us have places where we'll drive and go and just kind of relax and cut loose because of the beauty. And we'll just try to absorb it and soak it in. But y'all, the world is not right though. We have pollution. We have decay. Um, you know that if things are left to themselves, um, when you build houses... They don't just stay good forever. What do they do? They decay. The elements around this world bring it to decay. Something is not right in our world today. And I would suggest to you that it, it is that sin that happened in Genesis. You know, a lot of times we think about, um, about the sin and the fall and all that, and we very much get this picture that it is related to mankind only. In that um, it has to do with our personal fallenness, and it's why our relationships don't work. It's why we get in fights. It's why uh, it's why marriages break up. It's why this world is at such um, it, it's such tension with itself. It's why we all live in such tension with each other is because of this sin thing. But Paul is very much saying that not only is it for us, but the creation experienced that too. Okay, experienced that. And so, what do we do right now? Um, this cultural mandate, it, it was that way in the beginning. Is it still that way now? Yes, it is. A lot of times in the Bible, when uh, Scripture, when God wants us to stop doing something, some of these times in the Old Testament you have things like um, the food laws and you have sacrifices. Um, and when God clearly wants something to stop, He will, he will specifically uh, bring that about in the New Testament. He said no more sacrifices. Jesus was the last sacrifice. He came and fulfilled the law so that we don't have to. So we're not living under these food laws anymore. But y'all, this cultural mandate, what happens, it's not ended. And so in our world today, around us, we're called to do what? To take care of the world. To live in it. To subdue it. To rule over it. To be good stewards of it. And y'all, that has tremendous, huge, far-reaching implications for where we live today. Because we have things like recycling. What are we to do with that? You need to recycle. Why? Because it is part of taking care of this world. We have hybrid cars. Should you drive a hybrid? Yes, if you can. I mean, I know they're $10,000 more expensive than the same model that's not. But y'all, if at all possible, those things are good because they are taking care of this world that God has given us. If you can buy a home that is more energy efficient, do it. That's good because it uses more fuel and all these things and creates more pollutants when your house gets rid of all these things. I mean... You know, it, that stuff is, as Christians, as responsible humans in this world that God has allowed us to take care of. It's not our world, but He's allowed us and given us the privilege to take care of it. Those are the kind of things we need to be doing. And at this point, I, I, I need to ask forgiveness on behalf of so many Christians whose theology tells them that we're in this world for a little while and then we're out. We're, we're here to earth. We use it and we abuse it a lot. And then we're just out. We've got to go to heaven, y'all. I got saved. My mind is on heaven, so I don't care what's going on around me. And y'all, they have a theology that tells them that, that we're in and that we're out. But on their behalf, um, I'm sorry. I really am sorry because they have misunderstood 
the trajectory of the whole Bible, of what God says about His world and about creation and what we're to do with it. We're not in and out. It's not just we're here for a time and then we leave and then, and then we leave. That's not it. Y'all, we're here. We're to take care of this. We may die. But that comes to our last point. What's to come? What does Scripture say um, about this trajectory, if we could say that, this trajectory and this horizon that we're heading towards as believers, as people who, uh, as the church, as we look at the mission of the church, what is it that our trajectory is for, for this beauty and this creation that we live in? What are we to do? And I would suggest that the thing that we move toward, the thing that all of, of the world from the beginning is moving toward is, is called redemption, restoration, recreation of all things. It's even in the idea of conservation, y'all. It's in the idea of recycling. It's in the idea of hybrid. It's in the idea of carbon footprint. It's all about these things, y'all, because these things, what are they doing? They're trying to take care. They're trying to redeem and restore this world around us. And so, but we live in this world that's not right and it's broken. But, you know, interestingly, the second law of thermodynamics, people often want to pit pit science against Christianity and against religion and all this stuff. They say it it just doesn't work together. You know, the second law of thermodynamics, and I'm no physicist or scientist at all, but it states that the world is moving toward more and more disorder. Okay, so the smart people somewhere have figured out that this is true, and I'm just stating it. Um, the world is moving more and more toward chaos and disorder. So what do we do in that? Where is it headed? Do we have hope for any of this? And I think we do. Look back, if you will, at verses 22 through 25. 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is not seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Friends, here is the message of the Bible. Here's that trajectory that we go on, is that there is a redemption, there is a restoration that is coming. And Paul talks about that right here in this passage. It's not only coming to free us from our personal brokenness, y'all, the ones that we feel all the time. We feel it this morning. We feel it yesterday. When we have fights, when ah, we feel it. We can't get away from it. But Paul's also saying that the creation itself, the world around us, longs to be set free. Right? It's got something in it that is hurting, that's in birth pains. It's in that waiting room, that waiting time. The tension is there. And it longs to be set free. It's coming. And those who dare to believe that Jesus was resurrected so that change could come in us as He was brought from death to life, that that same change as we will one day die and then be raised again as this world is going through these cycles of life and death and life and death, there will be a one day, a someday, when it doesn't die anymore. When death will no more reign over this world, there will be no more tears, no more hurt. Creation will no longer be subject to its frustration. Y'all, the redemption is coming. It's the trajectory. It's the horizon that we are on. And so if that's true, if you could accept that, then I suggest that there are three people in our world today, three kinds of people. The first person uh, that is out there, um, you're the religious person, right? You're the religious person. You do these things. You, um, you do recycle. You actually bought a hybrid last month. 
Um, you put your red bin by the curb every week. Um, you feel good about it, and that's good. Um, you're out there. You've bought an energy-efficient home. It's LEED certified. You have bamboo floors and the whole thing. Y'all, you've done it. Uh, you, you are the person who has followed the rules, um, and you feel pretty good, and you know and feel that God is pretty pleased with you right now. Ah, I, I just have, have bad news. Is that Jesus, whenever He was around on earth, He saved some of His harshest words for you, for people like you. In His day, they were called the Pharisees. They did lots of good things, y'all. Pharisees get a bad rap, but they did tons of good things. Um, they did everything right, in a sense. And what did Jesus come to them and say? Oh, you're like whitewashed tombs. Your, your, your lips acknowledge me outside. Your body looks great. But inside, your hearts are full of deceit. They're full of corruption. So what is he saying? He's saying that all of your goodness, all of the good things you do, that, that 80 mile a gallon hybrid car you have is good. And I'll acknowledge that. It's good. But see, you're doing it so that you can earn your way to me. So that you can be accepted before me. So that God, hopefully one day I can do enough and I can be green enough that God will accept me. And Jesus says, I'm sorry. Because it's not only this one area of your life that requires perfect obedience. It's not just your good stewardship. God says it's everything. You have to be perfect from birth until death. And y'all, we know that is not the reality of our lives. It's not. And so if you're religious this morning, I want you to feel the weight of that. And feel how, how shallow your doing goodness is. second person that this produces in our world is, is the irreligious person. Okay? And this person is, is really interesting. You might, uh, you actually might be so far, so much into recycling and activism and conservation and EPA that you might be president of this national organization about all this stuff. You want beauty, you want creation, uh, to be beautiful and to be kept more than anybody. You really do, and you might want that. Or you may be on the complete other hand and you don't care about it. You're just out using the world. You are taking it for what it is, um, and you just and you just uh, you use it for your own good and your own consumption. And that's that's so interesting because if you're that first person who wants beauty and who wants creation, who wants uh, the works of your hands and restoration, you want that so badly. I have one huge question for you, and then a question I think you need to ask yourself is why. What, what in you wants that so badly? Who has told you that beauty is good? Who has told you what beauty is? Is it subjectivism? Is it just whatever I say? There's an, there's an aspect to it that, of that. Um, but what can speak from an, uh, outside of you and say that this was good? Why does your heart get so into these things? Why do you want for that redemption story that things, all things are made new, why do you want that so badly? Why? If we're just a product of this evolutionary process or chance, or maybe you've not even thought about where we came from, then you have to account for where it came into us, where it came into you that you want beauty and that you want that redemption story. You just want it to be right. You have to account for that question. A professor of mine... He gives this illustration. I think it's so good. He talks about um, in summertime or whatever, you're out playing pool volleyball at the pool with all your buddies. I don't know if that happens anymore. That feels kind of 1980s, but maybe it does. Uh, playing pool volleyball, and you have that multicolored volleyball. Uh, 
and it gets it's at some point in the game it it's lost and nobody knows where it is and you know ha 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 funny somebody's sitting on it um, but if uh, <laughs> if you've ever seen or tried to sit on something bigger than like a tennis ball like a volleyball or basketball it's hard y'all because it, it's just wanting to go up so you know everybody's sitting around where's the ball where's the ball and you've got one person who's over there like teetering back and forth because that volleyball is trying to get out the side and shoot up that that volleyball is waiting and it's wanting to just blow through the surface and to make known that, oh, here it was the whole time. You know, I suggest to you, the Scripture accounts for that. It's that Paul actually says earlier in this letter to the Romans, he says that, um, that God has manifest Himself through creation. He has made Himself known through creation so that you are without excuse about who He is. In the second chapter of Romans, God says, or Paul says that God wrote His law on our hearts. And what he says, though, is that we suppress this. We're like the person in the pool trying to hold the volleyball down. We're suppressing it. You're trying your hardest to keep it underwater. There's some reason for this long for beauty inside of you. There's some something going on. And you just, every once in a while, it rears its head and it pops out of the water. And you go start an activism group on lowering pollution. Or you go buy a hybrid, more, more money you should have spent, but, but you buy it because you know that it is good and that pollution is bad and all of these things. Now, Scripture says that that is because you have this God recognition inside of you that He is the Creator and He has made His creation good, and you can't suppress it forever. And the third person then, so the, the religious person, the irreligious, and the third person is the gospel person. Okay? The person who actually claims to believe that the message of Christianity is true. That what the gospel says is that, um, that the creation is hurting right now. It was good and it's still as good as we look around. It's beautiful. That the creation is hurting though, but it's not going to hurt forever. It's not going to hurt forever. That the trajectory is to a, to a recreation, to a redemption. That it's going to be liberated from its bondage to decay as Paul says, it wants this. It wants. It, it's tired of the birth pains, y'all. It wants the baby. <laughs> it wants the birth. It wants its rebirth as a new creation, restored to its full beauty. And Paul says that's the trajectory that we're on. This is how people who have been changed by Jesus, this is what we long for. Because otherwise, y'all, it is just hard, like I mentioned earlier, to keep spinning your wheels in this desire for beauty. Just beauty in and of itself. Because what's it for? Is it just for our existential enjoyment? That we just we could go outside and just take it in? Or has there got to be something bigger, a great and bigger hope for which it's moving toward? I suggest that the first, the spinning of the wheels, is ultimately leaves us without much hope. It's kind of a day-to-day, feel good, get sad again. But if we can take the bigger story, the bigger creation story, and say that this is on a trajectory that is heading somewhere more beautiful, where creation is restored to all of its goodness, all of its rightness, and that is a hope worth longing for. That is something that we could long for. You know, it's like this. Very practically, it means that I can drive a Tahoe that I got as a gift, Sarah and I got as a gift, I can drive it, and I can want something different. I really do. I don't like paying that much to fill up a tank and to only get that much per gallon. I hate it. But I can drive that Tahoe, and at the end of the day, I can believe that I'm accepted in Jesus. Because he said it's not about your Tahoe driving or your taking your red bin out to the curb every week because you forget. It's not about that that makes you right with me. 
It's not about all of your greenness. It's not about... I don't, I'm glad you don't have a carbon footprint at all. That's great. But it's not what makes you accepted before me and before God. It will never be. It has never been that way. It will not be that way. And so what Jesus does is like Howard said earlier, that He makes provision. He comes and says, I'll, I'll drive your Tahoe. You get my Scion. <laughs> you get my smart bug car over here. He, he gets our sin. He gets the ugliness, all that is ugly about us. And we get His goodness. We get His rightness. His rule following. His perfect stewardship of everything. You know, that is the great upside-down mystery to the Gospel. But that's one that gives us hope because it frees us from our green righteousness, from any other kind of righteousness which makes us think we're acceptable before God. Jesus frees us from that. In closing, there was a, a commentator that was, I was studying this week, a commentator named N.T. Wright. Um, he's a bishop over in England, and, or the United Kingdom, and he says um, that kind of the key to unlocking the trajectory of this passage is back in verse 18. And so if we could look back there, um, I'll read it again. I want to tell you what he said. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will, that will be revealed in us. A lot of other translations will say that will be, that will be revealed to us. But what he says is, uh-uh. It's not in us. It's not to us. It's for us. Y'all, what Paul is giving here is a picture of going back to creation. God gave us the world. We're to be stewards of it, but it was our world to take care of. That we're not, whenever glory comes, when Jesus comes back to restore this whole world, y'all, we're not going to be like at the aquarium behind the glass being like, God, that's so good. Look at that over there. And just tell, like knocking and open to get its attention. That's, that's not it. It misses the whole picture. The creation is for us. Okay? We're brought into it. We're to take care of it. We're, we're, not, just, um, uh, we're not just isolated from it. We are fully involved in this creation. Again, this beauty, this beauty and right creation that God is going to restore. You know, the world is for us. Okay? It was that way in the beginning. It's that way now. The world is for us. We use it. Right now, we abuse it. But the trajectory of the gospel of Christianity is that Jesus comes back and makes it right. He restores not only our lives and our hearts, but as we see in the passage, creation as well. It longs to be restored and be redeemed. We are going to get minds and hearts that will know how to wisely and properly submit and be stewards of this creation. We don't have that right now. We don't. We don't know how we are to rightly take care of things. We have good ideas, and some things are right that we do, but we don't know exactly how to do that. But one day, someday in the future, when Jesus comes back, He is going to set it right, and this world will once, be, once again be what's beautiful uh, as it was in the beginning. All things are going to be made new. Y'all, this is it. That God invites us not into a world and a story that spins its wheels. And it's just day-to-day hope, sadness, hope, sadness, hope, sadness, failure, success. It's not it. He invites us into this great story of redemption. The trajectory with a happy ending. The one at the end that says, yeah, this is really true. And when you go to bed tonight, it's going to be true again in the morning. It stays true. It is goodness as we tend to it and care for it. Y'all, we give our hearts and our lives, we set our hopes on things so much less. 
We, we love money. We love power. We love position. We love relationships. We, we look to those things to give us so much hope. Y'all, but there is a hope of such a greater trajectory, of such a greater horizon than these temporary things. There is. It is the hope of recreation and redemption that God has promised to us in Scripture. And if we dare to believe in the Gospel, that hope is something that we can hold on to because it is coming and it is true right now. And our mission of the church is that we take care of this world that God has given us, not for taking care's sake. That's fine. We take care of it because it is our call in this world to bring about that change right now that is going to be true in the future. The kingdom has broken into our world. What is going to be true of the future is true right now, and so we're moving in that trajectory. That is the horizon for the the church, for the people of God, for all times. Would you dare to believe in that kind of hope? Or will you be sufficiently happy in these lesser hopes? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, could it be true that you have invited us to be a part of this, Father. We believe that it is because your Scripture has said so and that redemption is a redemption of all things. And it's not just our hearts and our minds. It's not just us, Father. We think that it's about us and just the me, the me in my life. I don't care what happens after me, Father, but you have said that creation in its beauty is for forever. And that one day, someday, you will come back and You will rightly restore it. And You will rightly make us as people who will know how to live in it. And who will know how to rule over it and be good stewards of it. Father, help us because right now we don't know how to do that rightly. We struggle. We try. Father, help us in our efforts to try. But also help us to realize that our trying is never enough. And that we need You. We need that provision. Because we are not good enough. Holy Spirit, do this in our hearts today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.